You're listening to the Uncensored Direct Marketing Show. This show is designed for direct response marketers who want raw, unfiltered conversion tips and secrets to scale their offers profitably to reach their next million. I'm Maria Sparagas. I'm the founder of Direct Paynet and your host. Now let's dive in. Welcome everybody to another episode of Uncensored Direct Marketing. Today I have Jeannie Mai. She is the managing director at HelpGrid. HelpGrid is a phone sales team that helps all kinds of di different direct response businesses increase their sales tremendously. So I am very excited to have Jeannie on uh, today. She's going to give us some great strategies for you guys to recover some lost sales and some abandoned carts uh, and talk about AI. And we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. So welcome, uh, Jeannie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited uh, to have this conversation with you and, you know, share whatever we can so that everybody succeeds. For sure. So, I mean, like, let's, let's talk about, get right into it first. Okay. I want to hear, cause we met at uh, affiliate summit. So for everybody listening, affiliate summits, like a conference that happens every year, lots of people in direct response and people in the space go there. So Jeannie and I connected there. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what you do at HelpGrid and a little bit about HelpGrid in general? Okay, great. So uh, I'm just going to reiterate some of the things that you said. I'm the managing director of HelpGrid, and we do provide customer support and abandoned cart recovery for our clients. But the really the main thing is we want to recover lost sales. That way, we're not leaving any money on the table or as little as possible. And we want to improve and increase the customer lifetime with the brand. And we do as much of the handholding as we can because we feel that's where we bring the most value and we want this to be a win-win-win relationship, right? And so I said okay. win three times. So <laughs> the relationship uh, between us and the customer, the brand and the customer and us and the client, right? Sure. Um, so that is what we focus on. My my job isn't to like tell people what to do every day. It's actually to encourage them to think for themselves, and then the you know, then we just really check ourselves based off of the data. So if anything, my the most important thing I can do every day is spend time with my team reading data, which is not enjoyable to other people, but. Very I love data. I, I just had a conversation with somebody online saying how much I love spreadsheets. And they were yeah. like, I love spreadsheets. I'm like, no, I, you can't love spreadsheets more than me. I love looking at data and <laughs> seeing things up and down. And there's so much optimization that you can do. Uh, and especially because of the business that you guys do, you know, you're, you're there to increase sales, you're there to increase revenue. So like looking at data, I think is, is probably one of the most important things, um, you know, that you should be doing. And I do love what you said. Uh, I, I, about like what you do in the company. I think that is actually the profile of a very good manager. In fact, I, I think somebody who's, who is just looking at overall picture and letting people stay in their lane is actually one of the most effective managers. It took me, uh, I've been running my business for over 14 years. It took me 10 to realize that. So, and then once I realized that, that's when the growth actually happened in the company because I was micromanaging, not in a mean way, like not like, 
trying to like demean people or anything, but it was more like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why? Like, and then when people feel like they always have to like respond to you, they're not doing their best. So, um, I, I will disagree with you on you not being a good manager. Cause I think that's the trait of a good manager, but kind of talking a little bit about help grid and like what you guys do in terms of phone sales, if we get into like, really just dig into some tactical stuff. So mm-hmm. you said that, you know, you, um, you, you help people with abandoned carts, mm-hmm. um, and you help with phone sales. So, So first, can you tell us a little bit about maybe like the technology behind, is it like people who are inputting their, their their email address and then just moving along? Or do you have any other ways of getting people who abandon the cart? So uh, I'm going to answer it in two parts. So one from a tech perspective and then one from a compliance perspective, right, is any brand that sells online will have a checkout cart, right? And generally a sale is completed once all of the information is inputted correctly and then they press send, right? But that's only if the customer is 100% sure they want the product. What about all of the customers that end up in your site and has expressed interest but didn't make a purchase, right? I'm un- We're unable with the technology right now to read the customer's brain, but we can see the data they've inputted. So if you're interested enough, right? Now, this is a very warm lead that you've started typing out your information, you've left something behind in the cart, and maybe you do submit a credit card, right? If it does not go through, we are able to capture that information on the back end, right? Um, with that information is what are you going to do with it next? You can use email sequences, you can use SMS sequences, or you can use phone sales. It really depends on who your audience is and what they're most receptive to, right? And in the sector that we're in, we're in a vertical that generally um, captures an audience and a target audience of 40 years and older. In this case, much more receptive to picking up phone calls Mm -hmm. than they would be to email and text messages. But now comes the compliant part. You can really only do something with this information if you are collecting it legally and you are texting, emailing, or dialing within compliance. So usually it means where do you collect this information in the funnel determines what you're allowed to do with it and in Mm -hmm. what Right. So there's there's blurry lines because when people think, oh, you're calling somebody like, are you not? um, It's not. It's not cold calling because there has been an express intent on purchasing the product, but they didn't. And so based off of where we are in the funnel and how much information is in there allows us to make these uh, abandoned cart phone calls, which is what we specialize in. So, so just, I mean, does it also change by state though? Cause like there are different privacy laws by state and I know California is a little bit of an anomaly. Are, I always feel it's better to be as safe as possible. Okay. <laughs> so we, we have a general and blanket way of doing it is whoever is the strictest state is essentially what we're going to do for every state okay. because we can identify where leads are coming from by state and IP addresses, but we don't want to leave it up to chance and have some like the government knocking on our door or paying really large fines, but not even just looking out for ourselves, but for our clients, like these are their brands. And, you know, we take liability for these leads and these calls. So we want to be as compliant as possible. Um, In general, 
we we actually, even though I said we're not cold calling, we actually follow a lot of the regulations around cold calling okay. just to be safe. Okay. Um, but so many compliance rules that we have, like we follow, like not just TCP. I can't imagine. Even rules. like email, email wise, like just, yeah. just email, <laughs> phone calls. There's so many rules. I don't know how, like, I mean, you probably have somebody on staff just... Yeah. You stick, to what you, know. you stick to what you know. And this is like advice for any business owners is like, don't cut corners and try to save money. Right. Sometimes you end up spending way more when you like sweep important issues like this under the rug. Just pay whatever a lawyer or attorney in this field and area of focus knows for their knowledge. And you'll save a lot more down the line instead of like, combating it in court and just a host of other headaches for sure so i'm just curious like you guys are doing phone sales for abandoned carts um mainly right like do you also manage like email sequences for for merchants and stuff like that or is it just really you're focused on the phone sales part like if obviously with compliance and so forth uh, taken into account first in the first three years of the outbound business it has always been phone sales first, and then email and text messages after. And we only send email and text messages if we've made an actual, if we've made actual contact with the prospect slash customer, or we've engaged with them in some way. So we don't want to just, we don't want to just like do like a a mass text or email. And we actually do that. So again, we are just trying to be as safe and more than compliant. So we don't use an auto dialer either. We send, we make every phone call manually, send every email manually and every text manually. So there's always like, yeah, we use certain technology to make it quicker. So we're not like typing everything out, but everything has a manual component and you can always tie it back to a live agent or a human being behind the screen or on the phone. So let's let's talk a little bit about the financials, because I'm sure a lot of people listening are going to be very curious about the financials, like how this all works. Uh, first. Um, just again, just to kind of wrap up the, the technical part, does somebody have to ask the customer for their phone number? Because I know there's like we had a couple of guests on, on the podcast that talk about how they capture different information when somebody's kind of in the cart. I know you're talking about compliance, but, you know, a phone number is not necessarily something that is on a checkout page. A lot of people don't. So if somebody's listening, like a merchant's listening and he's like, hey, I want to try this. Like, do they have to start adding phone number on their checkout? Okay. So they do uh, have to collect it. Okay. Yeah, you have to do it. You can make it optional. Right. And I would always say a B test to see if that changes anything with your conversions. But generally from what we've seen with our clients, it doesn't affect it. If anything, it increases the quality of the lead slash the customer, because if okay. they're willing the thought process is if they're unwilling to enter that vital piece of information, like, are they really willing to uh, buy this product and are they a high quality client, right? Or high quality customer. But for us, what sets us apart is I'll be honest with you, right? Like we're, we don't monopolize uh, this industry. uh, But at the same time, we would, we would say that there's not very many other uh, call centers that focus on abandoned cart recovery like we do. And the reason we do it better is there is a technology component. So every lead and the data that we receive, it's done in live time. So we do not need you to be the middleman. We either do an API connection or we add webhooks on your checkout page. That okay. allows us to retrieve all of this data in live time. We then 
add an extra layer of filtering. So we want to make sure there's a phone number there. And if if there is an email, that's not important. But again, that just allows us to prioritize the lead, right? Then yeah. on based off of that, what we do is we actually hold this information in our back end before we release this to our agents to dial for 15 minutes. Why? We don't, to me, it's almost like stealing a sale. Just because a customer inputted information and didn't purchase within the next minute doesn't mean they're not going to purchase in the next, like the next two minutes because it takes time, right? Yeah. So we don't want to compete with your 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 ad spend and maybe any affiliates that you have because we're reliant on that to get our abandoned cart leads. We want you to win. If yeah. you don't win, we can't win either. So we understand that relationship with our clients. And so we wait, we hold that information for 15 minutes. Every minute, our system is validating. Did this lead make a purchase? We basically ask this question 15 times in the duration of 15 minutes. And if the last output we get is they did not make a purchase, then we turn it into a ticket. And one of the most important metrics that I use is lead open time. How quickly does this lead go into our system before an agent picks up and dials? Because the timing of it is how the timing of it does affect the conversion or the customer acquisition. So if you are browsing, let's say we talked about makeup earlier about foundation, right? Um, and you're looking at, at a bunch of brands, but you're researching each. You have that window to call them and kind of remind them while it's fresh on their mind that this is a product they want before they go off and try to look for any other product. If you wait 24 hours later before you send an email, like sometimes you're just kind of like, oh, I already purchased the other product I was looking about. Yeah, I'll try this one and thank yeah. you, but no thank you. And to be honest, sometimes names don't leave the best impression, like unless you're like a really popular brand. Yeah. And you don't have to be a successful business and then have like a like you have to be in the Fortune 500, like, you know, company where people recognize it. Sometimes people don't recognize your brand, but they remember what your what solutions your product offers. So. Yeah. If you just call, sometimes like we say a name, they don't even pay it. Like our, our customers don't pay attention to the name of the product. They just remember like, oh, I remember this is what it does for me. I remember seeing this either in a video or this information was in the article. And so yeah. we focus on that. And that just goes to show like the quality of the customers as well, which is they're high quality because they care about what the product can do for them. They're not bent and focus on the name and the popularity of the name. Of well, the, the interesting thing that you said, and I want to kind of tie it into payment processing because that's, that's, you know, my specialty. And the one thing that I do like is like collecting the phone number. So there's a little bit of a, you know, a delicate balance in asking a customer too much information and then not asking him enough. Now, yeah. obviously you have to A-B test to make sure things are kind of working well when you change your checkout page. Uh, but adding the phone number will actually increase your conversions as well. Because the more information that you send to your processor about your potential mm -hmm. customer, the more likely you're going to get an approval. So there is an issue, you know, as of late, I do get a lot of emails and calls and stuff like that. Hey, my approval ratio is abysmal. Um, you know, 
what can I do? And I, I always tell merchants, you know, like if they're not collecting address, for example, because they have a digital mm -hmm. product, try at least adding zip code, try adding phone number, because the more information you collect and you send to the processor, the more confident they feel about that transaction. So in, in fact, you know, it kind of ties in with what you're saying oh. is a better quality customer. It is more likely going to get approved. Not to say that if you don't collect phone number, you know, it's not going to get approved, but it just increases maybe half a percent, a percent or whatever the case is. So it does help. And, you know, I do like that you guys, you know, encourage that because I think it, it helps with compliance. It helps with, you know, uh, approval ratio. So, you know, adding that little thing might help with your phone sales team, but it can help with a lot of other areas of the business that you don't focus on. Now, I'm curious, like in terms of specific strategies. So you said like you guys do this for a lot of companies and so forth. And there's a lot of, you know, different types of products and services. Is there a strategy that's built with each merchant that you do this with? Or is this like something that like I have a company, I'm selling skincare, for example, I just mm -hmm. call you, I say, Jeannie, I want you to do phone sales for me. And you guys have probably like a map of some, some sort and you do it or how much, I guess the better question or to summarize is how much does the business owner need to be implicated in this process? Oh my gosh. Once you sign a contract, almost once a client signs a contract, they don't have to be involved at all. We we take care of everything because we are a performance-based business. And what I mean by that is you don't pay us unless we bring you new customers. So you're not paying us an hourly cost where technically somebody can just give the bare minimum, right? We have a lot of investment on our part first. So you supply us with the, the landing pages and we create the materials in the way that we know will increase the likelihood of recovering a sale and improving the customer journey. So like sometimes people, or I wouldn't say people, but like our clients and our brand owners think that uh, we aren't aligned with their vision, but we cater to every single one of our clients' brands because we're not going to ROI unless we make sure we represent them well. But kind of to answer your question is that um, one size does not fit all, but it can fit most. So if you're selling a beauty product, the customer journey is generally the same. And, and the only thing that really changes is the pricing, the name of the product, and um, some of the ingredients and maybe what it does, right? Like the pros and cons of it. But yeah. aside from that, we ask very similar probing questions because the sell is actually not the price point or the name or the ingredients it's what the customer wants as the outcome and so that's our job to convince them that this product or the service is aligned and gives the solution for the issue that they're facing or that has it has the outcome that they're trying to achieve part of building brand cohesiveness with the customer and um, building that brand security is making sure that your descriptor on the back end matches the product that you're selling. Because this happens. I love this. This happens a lot. And we get calls and they're like, customers will ask our customer support team, what is this? Like, what is this charge on my credit card? Right. Yeah. And then we have to look at their profile into the system because some clients have one parent company, use one merchant account and sell a plethora of products. And 
the customer doesn't recognize like, let, I'm going to make it up like sunlight companies, but then you're selling like water bottles. Like yeah. they don't connect that. They don't do that much research to know who the parent company is. Right. And so it's very important, even though it seems easier to manage on the back end as a client to have one merchant account, you should either have multiple merchant accounts or you should have descriptors that can change. So it oh, gee, matches. now you're getting into my territory. You're trying <laughs> you're, 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 you're killing me. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's speaking my language. No, I, I, I completely agree. Like, you know, if you have like a big company name and you have that as your descriptor, there's a couple of things like without getting super technical, but there's something called dynamic descriptors where you can kind of self-create descriptors. Um, you have to have a relationship with your processor to explain to them that you're going to be doing that. And they still have to approve your accounts and, and, and the products, but Technically, if you have 15 products, you can auto-create 15 descriptors and, and do that with something called dynamic descripting. Now, another thing you can do is something if, if, if you don't want to have the hassle of having all these merchant accounts, first, anybody in direct response should have a minimum of two, two merchant accounts um, because you need a backup. I'm not saying to split your transactions for any risk purposes. I mean, would you rely on one server for your business? Would you rely on one customer service person? Would you rely on like you can't, this is like the lifeblood of your business. Let's say a processor goes down, there's a tech error. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's a timeout. These things happen, right? You need to be able to shift somewhere else. So, you know, if you have at least two, what you want to do is at least put the descriptor should at least be a URL. And I say this to merchants because at least, you know what, most people are checking their, they have their phones, they have stuff, they can type in the URL and then you can list the products there. So it'll be, oh yeah, I bought this, right? Because a lot of times it's just a word and it's like, what is that? Even worse when they don't put a phone number and it's just a word and the city of like the, uh, the where, where it's the company's established, like, you know, ABC, um, Austin, Texas, like, what is that going to tell somebody, right? That's going to do nothing. You see how passionate I get about this, but basically you have to think of what your customer is going to see on their credit card. And a lot of times, and it like, it boggles my mind, but I have these like huge merchants that are doing millions and millions of dollars. And they're like, you know, I'm getting a lot of chargebacks. I don't know what I'm doing. And like, I'm going to give you guys something that I charge thousands of dollars for in consulting. All I do is I literally go into each of their gateway accounts and do a test transaction. And I look at each one of their descriptors. And then I'm like, this one's wrong. This one has the wrong phone number. This is not a URL. I don't know what I'm buying with this. And then we correct those. And then magically 60 days later, things are better. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. that's it. And you know, especially if you have a subscription, right? Maybe you can get away with it if it's a one-time purchase, but you want to increase your customer lifetime value. So you want them to be recur the customers to be making recurring purchases. So it'd be smart, especially in this day and age to have a subscription. So you don't want to go into it. And because customers, including myself, are fickle, we're forgetful. I purchase so many things in a day sometimes. And once in a while, I will look through my credit card statements. And I'm like, what is this? And I go into this like paranoia. I'm like, somebody stole my credit card. I have to cancel this because I can't I, identify yeah what this weird, vague name is until somebody calls me and like, oh, like, you know, we could ship this to you because there was a chargeback or there was a refund. And I'm like, why did you guys make it complicated for me? Like, tell, let me know what I purchased so that I can keep purchasing this item. Don't exactly. make me question. 
Especially, uh, especially so, sometimes it could happen like months, right? Like somebody can get their credit card statement and just kind of pay attention to it this month and then realize, I don't know what this is. They call their bank and then they, you get like six chargebacks because they, they bought it for six months. Right. So that's like really, really important is like making sure that things are clear for your customer. Um, I'm curious just because we're talking about financials, we're talking about chargebacks. So you guys are performance-based, which means in plain English, they all, you know, help grid gets paid if they make money for you, right? So a certain percentage and so forth. Um, what happens when there's like chargebacks and refunds? Are, are those clawed back? We split we split with that. We, f we feel that is a way for us to keep interest aligned with our clients. And I say clients, but partners, right? We are partners in this. We don't make money unless you do. So when there are certain losses that are credited to our sales, we will take and split those losses with you. And I think that's fair. Uh, not only that, that just keeps our relationship very honest, right? Because I, I will, clients do ask us like, how do I make sure that you're compliant? How do I make sure um, that the, the agents aren't too aggressive or that you guys aren't making false claims? This is how I answer it. One, we are audited independently because we do do phone sales. So there's more scrutiny for us as well. Like we're just we're just as worried about the same thing as you are, if not more. Right. Because yeah. we do it on such a much larger scale. The second thing is it serves our interest. It does not serve our interest to win the first sale and then we experience a refund in 30 days or 60 days or a chargeback because if we're using our merchant account, which is now most of the time, we take a hit as well. And also like it doesn't serve your company well either. If you don't trust us or we see high returns and high chargebacks, then we really aren't doing our job of actually acquiring a customer for you. And so this is how we, even though there's a lot of transactions in our business, how we keep the business from being one-sided and transactional. Um, so Jeannie, like now we, we've kind of covered everything when it happened that has to do with like the technical side and the financial side. Now let's get into some fun stuff, which is yeah. what everybody talks about. And, you know, this is not another podcast about AI, but how can we talk about this without talking about AI and technology, right? So, you know, Obviously, there's there's things that can happen in AI and there's bots and there's things that can make the, the process go a lot faster. So I'm just curious, what is HelpGrid doing with AI to kind of make this faster and a more efficient process? I think the biggest thing to say is, yes, AI is going to be incorporated in every facet of our business. We are not looking to replace anybody, right? If anything, I would say we're looking to improve our processes. We're trying to reduce redundancies in parts of our businesses. We're trying to remove all the menial tasks from our team's day-to-day -day so that they can focus on what they're good at, right? And in an ever-changing landscape where we're more reliant on technology and even the fact that we work from home, people are missing out on those human interactions, right? So what we want to do is remove all of the fluff and all the unnecessary things within our businesses so that we can focus on human interactions. And it tells a good story because the brands that make the most money, what I've told you before, it's not because you're the best. It's because you're a good storyteller. So then you spend all your marketing on that to tell the best story and the best narrative because that's what compels people. And so if when we talk about abandoned cart recovery, which is what our business focuses on, is like there's a reason why people purchase once they talk to a human being. 
because their needs are not met when they're in a static environment on a landing page or on a website. It doesn't give them, it doesn't answer all of the needs. The information may be there, but not in the way that they want to access to the information in the way that they understand. So a lot of times, yes, we are a sales team. My team is good at selling. A lot of it is just listening and clearing That's the best up. salespeople. It's the people who just <laughs> are quiet, let, let people tell you what they want and then just repeat it back to them. Yeah. <laughs> Sales tip 101. <laughs> and a lot of it is just reinforcement. Hey, I'm spending money. Make me feel good about the money I'm spending. I always tell people I'm very easy to sell. Like I say yes more times than I say no. So this is me being really passive aggressive. If I tell you no, you didn't do a good job of selling me. <laughs> there you go. And so what you're saying, if if I if I am to kind of clarify, is you're you're not you're never going to be moving to AI for the actual uh, sales part. True. Like okay. So, I'm saying there isn't, we're actually working on it. There's not an aggressive push to replace. It's to compare. What I believe AI can do in the next year or two is it can, we can add AI agents to the team that can probably replicate the lower performing agents, but not the highest performing ones because the highest performing ones don't follow a script, right? And they know to ask questions and facilitate conversations that are very customized to that customer and to that call. Um, I'm going to bring up AI uh, technology now. So what we're doing internally to improve our compliance, call listening to improve and our scripts is we're using multiple softwares and components to build like kind of like a Frankenstein machine, right? And so for instance, I have a QA team and Mm -hmm. right now we are at the mercy of how many people can listen to each phone call. So if each phone call is 15 minutes, it takes one person to listen to 15 minutes to grade the call, right? So how do we increase that? How do we increase the grading, right, of each call? So what we've done is, um, we will do the calls, uh, sentient analysis with a human being. We will feed the, we will take the calls, transcribe it, right? Feed it through a uh, workflow. And then we will actually insert multiple prompts to ana- analyze and grade and assess the calls based off of parameter of defined parameters and you can't just do it in one prompt like you can't just go in to like let's say chat gpt and say grade this call it has to be broken down into multiple prompts right so first you analyze it then you uh, ask multiple questions give it the definition of what you determine is good or bad what do you determine is a one and what is a 10 and then everything in between like you can't expect AI right now to fill in all the gaps for you. Otherwise, you're just, it's going to be a little bit directionless. So you're going to have to basically set the parameters for each question you're asking and what the scale of grading is. But that is how we're able to leverage some of the current technologies right now. And again, I don't want to replace my people. I find that our humans are very, uh, you're human. You have a little tribe there. You're the help grid. And and it's so funny. Like, it's not so funny to say, but I think we're going to use that. Those, those two terms 
more in the future because you have to define what is human and yeah. what is AI. And um, I, I want to talk a little bit about compliance. Like our regulations are 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 going to take a huge change and shift because right now we're a lot of the regulations are to protect customers and customer data, right? And so even when we are talking to a prospect and customer, we have to tell them you are on a recorded line. They have to know they're being recorded. Sure. So I asked I asked this general blanket statement, if anybody out there knows, like, are the rules and regulations going to change in which you have to let the customer know that they're talking to AI or a robot, right? Do we have to be more definitive? And what does that change? How does that change customer behavior when they think they're talking to a human versus they know I think there's going to be more defenses. Like, you know, I, I think if if I get a call and it says, you know, this call is being recorded and uh, by the way, you're talking to a machine, um, my guards are going to be up. But at the same time, like you were talking about lower level, one of my jobs in a previous life was I was quality coordinator at a call center. So I did actually listen and grade people's calls yeah. and so forth. It's mind numbing work. You know what I mean? I was young yeah. and stuff like that. And it has to be done. But I think, you know, going back to the AI stuff that you were saying, I think it's really interesting to use AI to build these type of processes, but it takes a lot of work. It's not like you're going to go into ChatGPT and just say, oh, uh, grade this call. They don't know what you, you know, ChatGPT doesn't want, doesn't know what's quality, what's not. But if you do it over and over and over and over and over again, eventually you'll teach it and then you can put a script in there and get it. So that's very interesting. Now, in terms of call quality, that I think that could be automated, but I do agree with you. Like the human connection and somebody's listening to you is, is good, but I'm going to give you a personal story because this happened to me just recently. I was contacted by my bank, like a bank, you know, it was a, obviously a call center that was calling to sell me some kind of insurance, something for one of my accounts or whatever. And, you know, like, because I, I have quite a bit of experience in customer service, phone sales and all that, that was like in my previous jobs, I did it for like 10 years. And, you know, I could tell the person was just like reading, blah, 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 blah. do you, would you like this? I'm like, no. Okay, so, blah, blah, blah. and then I was like, okay, seriously, you can get a machine to do this. You're paying this person how much ever, and she's not even listening. I said, no, she didn't ask me why, what do you think about it? What didn't you like about this? Why are you disagreeing? You know, and then I, I actually just didn't listen to her. I said, no, no, and then I told her I had to go, and that was it. So I do think that AI can perhaps replace that, like press one if you agree. You know, and if you're just having somebody read, that's an interesting thing. But phone, phone sales, like somebody who's, uh, you know, selling has a bigger skill and has is listening and is selling an outcome and is able to have a conversation like we're having a conversation. So I think we're ways away from AI being able to do that. I do think it's going to happen one day. I just don't think it's going to happen in the next five years. That's what I'm going to say. Things that an AI agent could do is look up orders, right? Look up orders, maybe initiate a refund, something with a very clear yes and no yes. or per parameter, right? But when it comes to selling, there's so many different directions to go and you have to adjust yourself depending on where that conversation takes you, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, just a general advice, you know, if somebody is experiencing high cart abandonment rates, like 
what are like three things that you would do? Not necessarily just with phone sales. I'm just curious, like, what are some strategies? Cause I know you've been in the space for a while uh, and you know a lot about, you know, direct response. Like what, what, what could somebody do? Like, is it something they should look at at the beginning, something they could look at the end or in between to fix uh, high, you know, abandonment carts? I, I laugh because I'm going to give you a not great answer, which is do something. Like do literally anything, like literally anything. Don't overthink it, right? If you if you don't have phone numbers, fine, don't call. If you have emails, set up an email sequence. If you're not a good copywriter, again, you just need to get from level zero to level one. Don't go from level zero to level like 10. Send a follow-up email, right? Follow-up email saying that they left something behind in the cart, Give them a link, make it easy so that they can purchase the product or even give them a discount. Very easy. Emails, emails don't cost very much, right? Yeah. So do that. When it when we want to talk about how to improve conversions, how to increase deliverability, I mean, that's a whole different conversation yeah. to take place once you've once you're sophisticated enough. But the first step is if you're a a either a veteran business owner that sells online or a new one, you should always look at abandoned carts as like the first thing, because once the first sale comes in, there's going to be an abandoned cart. You cannot there, unless uh, you have some secret that I don't, you cannot guarantee that a hundred percent of the, the prospects visiting your site will convert. So Know that if you have sales coming in, there will be abandoned carts in the back end and some a percentage of a percentage of those anywhere from, let's say, low end 5% to 25% can be recovered. And low end, you said 5%, high end 25%. Yeah, like you can do. Honestly, you can do. Let let me put you on the spot here, Jeannie. What is the the average percentage that you guys get uh, for, for your clients? We focus on uh, phone sales. So our recovery rate is 21%. And I say recovery rate, not conversion. Like if I really want to trick you and build a different narrative, I would tell you my conversion rate is 50 to 65%. So recovery rate is the number of customers who have abandoned. And then from the ones who have abandoned the cart, how many we are able to successfully make a transaction, right? So some of those numbers don't work. Some of them don't pick up, right? Based off of the number of customers that do pick up, we convert one out of every two calls. Wow. That's okay. even better. So, so that's, that's amazing. supposed to show you, you don't, you, I say you, but like as a brand owner, don't only focus on affiliate traffic or like the, like spending more money on ads, right? You already spent the money, you or the affiliate. Make sure you cater to like that 20%, maybe even more that we're willing that can still come back as a customer that you can still recover. There's something to do with it. Everybody showed interest, on- right? So like, that's the number one thing. And like, it's like, it's like I'm having like parallel conversations because I had a conversation with somebody from my team, you know, we're, we're kind of looking at Q1, how to increase revenue and so forth. And one thing that I think a lot of people underestimate is like, especially on the marketing side, a lot of people are always looking at converting more traffic and getting people more on, but like, how about the people that are getting on there? So like on the, like, you know, you said there's cart abandonment, right? Like finding people, calling them, emailing them, all that stuff on the payment processing side. It's like somebody gets declined. Are 
you sure this is a valid decline? Is there anything else you can offer them? Can you tell them to pay by ACH? Can they pay another method? You know, like exhaust all those things before you say, let me buy more traffic because all you're doing is spending more money, you know, and then, you know, your cost per sale actually increases. But the funny thing is I was just looking at, you know, my numbers like direct pay net. And I was like, okay, well, what's an easy way to kind of get a bump in revenue. And we have merchants that are, you know, have merchant accounts with us, but they're dormant. So mm -hmm. I, 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 I kind of compare this to this is like, why am I going out there trying to get more clients and so forth, where we have clients who are there, they showed interest, try to convert them, get them to use their accounts. So same thing here, you, you know, somebody came onto your page because whatever you're selling appealed to them. Well, you know, that's, that's step one. We have interest versus trying to find interest. I think that costs more money, takes more time than kind of using this. So that, that I find, you know, uh, kind of a, a little superpower that I think the high end marketers have is like establishing, you know, getting good affiliates, getting good people to, to do your phone sales for cart abandonment and so forth. And just curiosity, cause this is going to be a question that I think a lot of people are going to have listening. Do you have a U.S. based phone sales team or is it offshore? Is there a hybrid of both? And I'm just curious, what is your experience with either or? Um, I, I just want to finish up the last thought is like, it's not about more, it's about maximizing what you have, right? And oh. so now segueing to my teams, I have a global team. Everybody works remotely. Um, I have teams in the US, I have teams in Ireland, I have teams in Romania and a very large base in the Philippines, right? Um, the thing that they're all great at, sure, selling but they're all very relatable on the phone. So it, when you're relatable on the phone and you know how to have real human connections and not just go off of script and just be transactional, people will listen to you because, and I, I bring this up is because, and I don't blame anybody for this is people think they understand human or cus, consumer behavior and they, and it's okay to believe that there might be certain stereotypes or prejudices prejudice that happens over the phone, but you will be surprised by how many sales maybe an agent with or without an accent can sell just because they're likable on the phone. Like if you can be likable, it, no matter on what you do, you can get very far. So like I said, some people don't care about the product you're selling. Like you're just selling yourself really, right? So if yeah. you can get people to trust you, you're almost there. But we do have global teams. Um, for me, it, I have not seen any gaps depending on where people are from. As long mm -hmm. as you're hiring, as long as you have the right qualifications, Everyone is good enough. And I, some people might feel like that's not a good answer, but good enough gets the job done. And then we strive for excellence. You keep like, you're never going to get the best of the best. We'll keep trying. There's always going to be a range of people, but you want everybody to be mid range. I say somewhere in the middle of performance and everybody is good enough, right? Yeah. After that, it's just overcoming certain- Well, I mean, they're not selling, you know, sophisticated medical equipment, it's right? So it's relatable stuff. Like if you're in direct response, you're selling something direct to consumers, you're selling maybe skincare or coaching or, or different yeah. things that, you know, your regular consumer. So you want your regular everyday man to kind of be the one selling it because they will understand it most. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, my experience is I, I've I've had teams also uh, in various areas and they, they do excel at different things. But the one thing is obviously if you have people who are performance-based, 
waste, which it sounds like you guys do, it's it's always going to end up being better than if you have like flat yeah, salaries and so forth. It's a forth. little bit, I don't like being black and white and just cut and dry, but when it comes, when you work at a, every aspect of your business is built on performance. And this is not just for my sales agent, this is for my QA team, my training team, my recruiters, right? There's always a performance aspect, right? You get paid for the work. Uh, you know, honestly, you get paid just to show up, right? Yeah. You you earn more and you stay here and you have longevity here based off of what you can, uh, you know, based off of your performance, right? Based off of what we identify as KPIs, right? And the growth that we want to, yeah. to see in all of those, those departments. Um, you know, there's a number that we didn't get to talk about, right? Because oftentimes, and I do, I'll be honest, I don't do the greatest job at uh, giving an elevator pitch. And if, <laughs> when I talk about, our customer support services or that we're a call center. Maybe I'm reading it wrong, but people are like, okay, boring. This is like the last thing I want to talk about. But our outbound call team, when integrated successfully and you give us like the right tools, we will lift your revenues by 10 to 15%. That is very shocking to people. And so what that means is when you look at it from the back end, we are probably the biggest affiliate and your biggest source of quote unquote traffic um, that, you know, people sleep on. I'll be honest. People sleep on it. And I think, you know, like a couple of things that I find interesting in the last couple of years that I've started really focusing on. And I hear a lot from my merchants and stuff is like, what, what's old is new again. Like phone sales sounds like a very like early two thousands, like nineties thing, but you know, be it's, it's different but the same, you know, so the same thing with direct mail. I mean, a lot of people are starting to look into direct mail again, because we're overwhelmed with emails. We're overwhelmed with text messages. We're overwhelmed with social media. But when do you get a piece of mail? Oh, you always, you know, even I get like mail for like Pizza Hut and I'm like, oh, look, Pizza Hut has specials. Like you're just like, you know, maybe getting yourself a coffee. Yeah, exactly. And (laughs) all that stuff, it it works. And the fact that you guys are performance-based, you know, is something that I like is that, you know, it it doesn't cost you anything to try something. Obviously there's some time investment, which is very precious, but, you know, somebody who has actionable results like HelpGrid, you know, that really is uh, important that you're willing to work with somebody and, and get their revenue up. So look at different ways, you know, if you're listening, look at different ways that you can increase your revenue. And I do think that phone myself, uh, I do find that phone sales help in everything just because I, I'm in that call center. I have the call center mindset and I see what it can do. I manage the call center team for, for a, a phone company in the early two thousands. And like, we were like way better at selling than stores. Like we were like profit profit. So like you were saying earlier, profit centers, you know what I mean? So don't look at customer service as being a cost center, which is what a lot of people do. Their customer service is just like somewhere where money goes to die. Like your customer service people should be kind of almost duly trained to save the sale and make an extra sale and, you know, to, to increase. So uh, I do thank you for all that information, Jeannie. And I'm just going to go back to something that we were talking about before we were recording guys, Jeannie and I were talking about foundation. Um, and we were talking about, you know, how, how we all look. So full disclosure, we're both non-filtered. 
we look this good guys. So if you're, if you're watching on YouTube, like this is, you know, this is what we look like. And, and, and it's just kind of to close out the conversation in of, of realness and AI versus, you know, a real person. Um, and as I was telling Jeannie, like I had some people at, uh, ASW come up to me and were like, Hey Maria, wow, you really look like you. And I'm like, yeah, what else would I look like? So, um, it's, it's funny. And, and I met Jeannie in person and Jeannie does look as good as she looks on camera right now. Um, I do find that we're, we're, we're making a lot of advancements in terms of technology, in terms of making things efficient and so forth. But what always comes back is people want to talk to a real person. They want to see you, you know, if you don't look like what you really look like, guys, come on, you know, like you're going to go to a conference, you're going to go somewhere one day, you're going to, you know, just let's, I guess what I'm saying is bring authenticity back. And that's what brings phone sales. That's what brings relationships. And that's what ultimately brings money. Yeah. He, real humans have flaws. So on our phone, on the calls, you'll hear people go, um, or they have questions or there's certain pauses or they'll correct themselves. That's what reminds the other person on the other line that that is a real human being, right? And as much as we strive for perfection, I think there is like warning, like signals that go in our heads when somebody just seems too perfect, right? Yeah. Anything seems too perfect because what happens is even with the deal where it sounds, hey, this sounds too good to be true. So instead of getting factual information, you just kind of, <laughs> you avoid, right? You avoid because you're not sure what you don't know. But um, especially in our our profession and then our relationships, like, I, I, I'm sorry, especially in our profession in this industry, there's a reason we go to all these conferences. It's for us to get to know the person who represents the business or owns the business, because you want to ask yourself, is this somebody that I trust to partner with, to handle, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, my information and to make, and for us to be aligned on the same goals, because it's in a world or in an industry like this, where there's a lot of money to be made, people have the freedom to choose who they want to work with, not what's the cheapest or what's the best deal. We're, we're past that level. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I do, I do have to say that I, I was happy that we connected in person. Cause I always love when I have people on the podcast that I've actually met. And I know that you guys can feel our energy and how passionate we are both about our, our related businesses. And even though they sound unrelated, a lot of real, a lot of things happen in merchant accounts that that have to do with phone sales. So thank you, Jeannie, so much for all your time and all these amazing tips. And guys, we're gonna have down below. We're gonna have all of Jeannie's information. If you need to reach out to her, talk to her or her team about anything phone sales related, or just talk about foundation and ask her what her favorite one <laughs> is. Um, so thank you so much, Jeannie. Have yourself a great day. I appreciate. It. Thank you, Maria.